I'd like to ask for your attention for some clarifications on our practice. We're aiming for a basic continuation of mindfulness of breathing with a little shift of the accent today, um, approaching the Chittanupasana practice, the contemplation of mind, states of mind. Um, and I think it's probably necessary to say a few things about what that chitta is. You know, in the lay of the land of those four satipatthana, of those four areas in which the Buddha encourages us to establish mindfulness, presence of mind, um, <clears throat> We have a fairly clear distinction. You know, the first one is clearly sensation, the things we feel and we can sense in the body. The second one we have spoken at length uh, of the uh, pleasure, displeasure uh, tone, sometimes translated by feeling tone. Sometimes we are a little more technical and call this the hedonic tone of our experience. Chitta is more complex. Yeah? Chitta is the content of our state of mind. It's our, it's the climate of mind, it's the mood, it's the emotion. Yeah. And what is part of this more complex formation is generally uh, an aspect of will, yeah? an aspect of intention in there. Something wants to move away or wants to move towards. Um, will, volition, as a sankara has many different shades. In our psychological language, we would refer to that as sometimes desire, sometimes aversion, aspiration, wish, longing, uh, um, um, I'm looking for a German word, which this does not seem to be the case in English. <laughs> Basically, it's, it's a movement, something that wants to move away from where it is. Yeah? Any such movement in your head, anything that has some, where you can discern a direction in your mind, uh, that would speak of a quality of intentionality. Yeah? That's one of the things that is always there in mind states. What also is there is generally some degree of story. Yeah? It, Mind states come with a color, while Vedanas are generally quick, they, they come only in two colors, nice, love it, give me more, you know, not nice, oof, off here, off here, out, stop, yeah. The chitta is more subtle, it kind of, it feels more like it's part of the, it's not furniture, it's part of the flat, yeah, it feels like it's part of the mind. So if you're if you're grumpy, then things just look gray. Yeah? You have the sense that objectively this is a gray world. If you are sad, then you think objectively the world you inhabit is full of sad people, full of sad events, full of sad histories. Yeah? So it's kind of like you're, you're in the bus, driving in the bus, and you know, it's the same bus, the same time every day, and on one day you kind of you see lovers and kids play, and everything seems nice, and this seems a bright world to inhabit. And the next day you sit in the same bus, same amount, same people, but the only thing you see is kind of 
old ladies clutching their handbags, you know, making a grim face, men without shoelaces. <laughs> you know. And you realize what makes the difference is not that the bus is full of different people, but that your perceptual apparatus, colored by your current state of mind, screens your reality. Huh? So that you, you become more and more aware that you inhabit the sort of world that corresponds to the climate of your mind. Huh? So chitta is complex because it doesn't declare itself. It doesn't say, I am sad. It just gives you the feeling that you hear sad stories, you want to listen to sad music, people look sad, the weather is gray. Yeah? So, so it's more difficult to get a perspective onto a citta state than, say, on a Vedana or on a body sensation. So we get lost a lot more in citta states than we get in, uh, say, body sensations or that we get lost in, in just pleasure or displeasure. Chitta states can really feel something to identify with. Yeah? I am really the angry guy here, or I am really the guy with the aversion problem, or I'm really you know, God's gift to the world, basically. Yeah? Um, which is more rare, I admit, as a, as a, <laughs> as a, as a, as a pathology, this is a more rare, rare occurrence. But nevertheless, you know, you will notice that you identify strongly with how you feel in terms of chitta. We, this is where we, this is the habitat where we tend to experience the world from. You know, when somebody asks you, how are you doing? Then we generally give them uh, an account of our chitta state. Yeah. Meditation... Um, tries to slow down the processes in the development of chittas. It tries, down, it tries to identify individual ingredients of chitta states. Um, obviously, we help ourselves by learning to switch from the area of chitta experience back to the area of body experience. Yeah. Think of those Satipatthanas as kind of TV channels. You know, channel 1 is body, channel 2 is Vedana, channel 3 is chitta, channel 4 is Dhamma. So if we don't do anything, normally we, stand, we spend our time on channel 4. That's where the story happens. That's where the plot is going. Yeah. So one of the first exercises we do in Satipatthana practice, we learn to counteract that habit and we establish a habit of going to the body. In the language of my little analogy, this means zapping from channel 4 back to channel 1, into body. Because in body, on body channel, things are slower. Yeah. Generally, there's less going on. It's more obvious what's going on. It, it's more self-declarative. We have more awareness. This is a sensation in my leg. And I can be with that sensation. I like that sensation. I don't like that sensation. We're less kind of immersed. Chitta has this kind of um, vortex quality. We're easily jumping into things. Yeah? We're jumping into our anger. We're jumping into our happiness. We're jumping into our depression. We're jumping into our uh, despondency or uh, delight or our euphoria. So when we're in, it feels like all our world is like that. You're in love, 
basically the whole world is pink, isn't it? You're out of love, the whole world is um, somewhat more crisp, maybe. Huh? Chittas, when we're in them, when we identified with a chitta state, it means we are, it feels pretty eternal. Huh? It feels pretty eternal. We cannot think that it could be different. If you're really depressed, it's very difficult to think that you have ever been happy at, or that you could ever be happy. It's very difficult to actually say, well, right now, this is a gloomy mind state. I am thoroughly identified with that gloomy mind state, but I do know gloomy mind states are not. All mind states are impermanent, are conditioned, and are subject to change when I uh, manage to influence those conditions. So um, any moment now, this gloomy mind change state can change. Yeah? No, that's not what it feels like, isn't it? It feels, you know, I've always been this, it's never going to change, and I'm totally like this. I will never be able to be happy again. Yeah? So, the first thing to do with citta states is to recognize them. Recognizing citta states is um, the first task. Like with all of those four Satipatthanas, um, they happen at any moment. Yeah. To stay with the TV analogy, you know, whether you're on the frequency or not, whether you're on that channel or not, that channel broadcasts. Yeah. So you can choose on which channel you tune in. Yeah. Habitually, you would tune generally into channel four, because that's where the stories, the mind, the, na the narrative goes. That's where the thought patterns go. That's mind content rather than mind state. Channel three gives the color. Channel three gives the feel. Channel three gives the mood. Yeah? That's where we, by habit, want to be. That's where suffering occurs. That's where happiness occurs. That's where purification occurs. That's where concentration occurs. Yeah? So channel three is a big area of our experience. The Buddha says a lot about citta. Uh, one thing he says, um, the citta can be like a monkey, grasping one branch, swinging to the next branch, letting go of the last branch, and swinging on and on and on. So the, the proverbial monkey mind is actually canonical. Um, that's the mind at its craziest. Yeah? jumping from object to object, from mood to thought to sensation to, to Vedana and back. The mind is also capable of profound understanding. It is capable of a deep, transformative insight. Whether it is crazy or whether it is capable of such insight depends on a number of factors. One of these factors is stillness. One of these factors is intentionality. One of these factors is curiosity. And obviously, the skill to juggle factors makes a lot of difference. So, if we want to practice with citta states, we are in the constant threat of being pulled in. Yeah? You heroically march out there to meet the chittas head-on. Yeah? You're digging up some of your demons and you stare them in the eye and you know within two seconds they jump on your neck and the demon you're 
went out to understand and to transform sits in your neck and rides you for the next 40 minutes till the bell goes. <laughs> so we have to be realistic with jitters. Yeah? There's a lot of punch in there and we have to have a realistic, um, you know, our, our loins have to be well girded basically and they are girded by stillness. They are, we are helped by our capacity to create the perspective. Some chitta states are flutters, yeah? anxiety, doubt, rage. Yeah? These are flooding states. For such states, the thing that helps best is distancing, yeah? being able to move back. See, you know, this is happening, it is not me. Yeah? Uh, there is part of me that is capable of actually witnessing this state. So I am not completely that state. That state may take a big part of my screen, but I am not it completely. That's the first step. Some states are not flooding. They don't actually need distancing. Contrary, some states, they kind of glossed over with, well, everything's normal here, nothing's really happening. You know, this is just a little bit tired or just a little bit disinterested. Yeah. Those are states that actually need engaging with. Yeah? We need to go in rather than go out. How do you do this? Practically, you continue practicing anapanasati. We've been doing meditation for a couple of days now. You'll be aware that certain patterns in your mood or your, even your thought patterns are repetitive. I don't know. I don't want to really insult you, but I, if, I, if my mind is anything to go by, then there's a, an inordinate amount of repetitiveness in the, in the events going on in the mind. You know, I like to be creative and intelligent and all that, but the truth is most of what I think is actually fairly repetitive. Most of what comes up is not very original. Yeah. It's warmed up, some of it 30 years plus. Yeah. <laughs> so there's some very old parrots going. Yeah. So you recognize these things and it may be worth when you are assailed by, you know, basically repetitive and tenacious patterns of thought and of, of, of mental states to just kind of knock and say, well, how does this feel? You know, is this narrow? Is this wide? Is this tight? Is this hard? Is this welcoming? Is this not? Is it, is it scatty? Or is it solid? Yeah. You may ask uh, a question that says, just acknowledges, is this sad? No. That thought, when I think that thought right now, does that, does that feel sad? Yeah. Is that grief? Or is that joy? Is that malice? And just listen. For me, the analogy of relating to that experience is a listening quality. I trust that a lot more than the, the seeing. Yeah. The listening puts me in touch with the voice. Sometimes it's the voice that betrays the emotional tone more. You know, it's a whining voice or a whinging voice or a complaining voice or a jubilant voice. Or, yeah? You kind of hear your thoughts. Think of yourself as sitting here hearing the sound. You know? In the Tibetan tradition, you have <coughs> Avalokiteshvara, he who listens to the sounds of the world. 
Notice he listens. He doesn't believe everything. Yeah, That's an important point. He doesn't believe the sounds of the world. But he listens. And you listen to the sounds of these voices. And I'm speaking not of every thought. I'm speaking of tenacious, repetitive thoughts that you have seen a couple of times now. Most of the thoughts we just need to let go of and go back to the breath. But if you have a couple of really tenacious patterns of state, of mood, and associated with particular feelings, with particular thought patterns, it may be worth just acknowledging how does that actually feel? What kind of emotion is that? Could you name this? So that's one question. It is as if you take stock of the current climate of your mind. Think of this, the habitat of your experiencer. Yeah? What sort of habitat does that fictional protagonist of your experience live in? Yeah? Is this bright or dark, tight or wide? Is it spacious or contracted? Is it concentrated or scattered? Is it hateful or is it happy? So that would be one question. How is it now? What is the climate right now? Yeah. And just see whether you can come into a relationship with that quality. You don't want to enact it. You don't want to reject it. You just want to acknowledge to yourself, how does that feel? Can I know this? That's the big word. To know something is not to analyze it. It's not to believe it. It's to know it for how it is. A A second question which is also interesting, particularly when you have a grasp of the tenacity of a thought pattern, statements about yourself, statements about other people, statements about the world, the government, your boss. Yeah. Ask yourself, what is the emotion that propels these thoughts? Yeah. So you're asking, if your thoughts are little sails, kind of on the lake of your mind, which corner which direction does the wind blow from that, that moves these little sails across your mind? Yeah. Is this an angry wind? Is this a greedy wind? Is this a sad wind? Is this a joyous wind? Yeah. So you're trying to understand the propellant behind the cognitive pattern in your mind. Yeah. Is this a jealous thought? Yeah. What is behind that thought? But I'm not speaking of an analysis of the thought. That takes you somewhere else. You want to get a feel. You want to listen more deeply. What energy propels this this thought right now through your mind? That would be the second question. The third is similar. It just looks in the other direction. I assume that many of you will be familiar with the patterning that takes place in your mind for some time and when something starts talking to you you will pretty much know where this will beat you in two or three minutes you know if you jump onto this bandwagon three minutes from now i'll be depressed i'll be angry i'll feel helpless i'll be greedy i'll be despondent you know we know that we know a thought pattern when it arises often though we do know too well If we go on with this, if we give our energy to this, if we allow ourselves to enact that pattern, where this will take us. We will know, in most cases, already where this will take us. 
One of my teachers used to say, if I want to feel depressed, I, I only think about myself. Yeah? <laughs> I start my thoughts with I and me, and then you know, throw in a word like never and always. <laughs> you know. And I'll do, I'll do that for three minutes and I'm depressed. You know, I know that. Because I'm always going to be a failure. You know? So, and I think very much in that vein, we, we know we have a fairly good idea where engaging with a particular thought pattern by believing, disagreeing, agreeing with it, following it, giving it our energy, where this will take us. Yeah, we know that to some large extent. So the third question asks, it's, an, it's, a, it's a question that asks your, your better knowledge. and says, if I follow this thought now, if I go along this proposition of the voice that speaks, believe me, think through me, take me, take me further. Uh, if I follow that invitation, where will I land in two, three minutes from now? Yeah. So consider these questions. If this sounds too complicated, go back to the breath. You know, what we're aiming for is a shuttle diplomacy. You do stillness meditation by stabilizing the mind with the things you know help your mind to become more quiet. Breathing, posture, uh, sensations connected with these. And if you are assailed or if you have to deal with very recurrent patterns of thinking and of mood in your experience, in other words, just take the big ones, yeah? Don't go for the small fry. There's too many thoughts. You don't need to do that with all of the stuff. You just need to do that with the things that recur. Yeah? Because those need some form of investigation and inquiry. And then you try to ask these questions. You know, how is it now? What's happening? How does it feel? Can I be in relationship with that without denying it and without enacting it? Yeah? Can I hold a knowing perspective in respect to that experience. Second question, acknowledging what kind of emotional quality propels this pattern. Generally, this is a thought pattern. Yeah. The third question is, where does it take me if I follow it? You know, what is the consequence if I go along with this? Give it my attention. That's basically, going along means you give it your attention. It doesn't mean you agree. You can go along with things by totally disagreeing with them. You know, sitting here in a permanent argument with yourself and the world is go going along with something. Although you're in total disagreement with it, you may disagree with every single thought in your mind and completely going along with the proposition, think about me. Yeah. So we're trying to establish a relationship that holds a knowing perspective on states of mind. Good. Let us practice some of this.
It perhaps becomes increasingly clear to us that if we are not mindful of chitta, we are likely to be lost in them. If we are lost in the mental states, the moods, they will indeed shape our world. They will also determine our reactions to that world. In many ways, unmindful of chitta, chitta becomes uh, the landlord of consciousness, determining our well-being or our absence of well-being. I think of no finer place to contemplate chitta, mental state, moods, than in the walking practice. The chitta of this moment may very well determine whether you even get to your walking path may well determine whether you're able to sustain yourself in that walking path. will certainly create the lens of what is experienced of that walking path. I often think of walking meditation as a training of learning to walk through the jitters. Training of learning to walk through the jitters. The different mental states, different moods arise, pass, some stay very longer than we would like, but instead of being swayed by the chittas of the moment that tell us to do this, to do that, what we're actually learning to do in the walking practice is to stay loyal to the intention rather than obedient to the chittas. That's a huge training for our life, I have to say. Huge training for our life. So we have our walking path and we begin to see how the chitta, the mind state, the mood is shaping that. You know, we may be just kind of walking up and down, a little sad or a little lonely, a little depressed. Then we see perhaps, you know, a little bunny rabbit jumps across our path. (laughs) Suddenly we're bright. We can't imagine a better place to be in this moment, you know. That might last a little time, a thought arises of a difficult conversation from the past. Oh no, maybe I need to fix that, you know, this is really the moment, you know, I've been very good so far, but now I'm going for my (laughs) cell phone, you know, I need to fix that, Uh, you know, or, you know, we might see the mood of boredom arising, you know, the eyes get hungry, you know, the ears get hungry. We might think, no, it's okay. You know, obviously, I'll go and read a fine Dharma book because that's, you know, it's all right. I know they told me not to read, but a fine Dharma book surely is all right, you know. And, you know, part of the practice and all. But, but we start to see what happens when we just walk through the chittas. Knowing them, acknowledging them with a kind mindfulness but we can be sure with difficult chitters, if they are sustaining, it's because on some level they're being fed. And the way that we fit that chitta is fed, mental states are fed primarily through thought. Primarily through thought. So we really see, you know, because surely if I have been a little irritable, you know, and I really throw some logs on that fire. I'm surely going to get more irritable if I'm a little anxious and I throw some logs on that fire. Yeah, I'm going to get more anxious. You can be sure that shit is going to grow. So we're learning in the walking practice 
to walk through the chittas, to be kindly mindful, knowing. There's a wonderful friendliness in knowing. Ah, this is sadness. Ah, this is loneliness. Ah, this is frustration. Ah, I can walk through this chitta. It does not need to be given the keys to the degree of well-being or lack of well-being I've experienced in this moment. I can just know it. I can learn to walk through this and learning to honor that intentionality rather than the passing moods and mind states of the moment can transform our lives. Can transform our lives. And so important to continually be making the bridges between what we are doing here and the rest of our life. You know? That is so critical. We're not here to have some you know, wonderful euphoric meditative experience that we'll put in our memory album to pull out over the next 10 years. You know, I remember when I was happy. You know, I remember that nice <laughs> state of concentration. Well, she learning here how to be alive, you know, how to live our life in an emotionally intelligent, informed, insightful way. And so really seeing that in the walking practice, what pulls you? What pulls you? Is it possible just to kind of stay steady and to see the winds of those chitters just moving through consciousness and experience the freedom of not being governed by them? If you didn't have a group yesterday, you will have a group today. And I wish you a wonderful day of practice or however it is. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.